Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Uh, Leslie and I have been married for 20 years, and we struggled the hardest couple hours of our entire week came Sunday morning. Anybody else like that? I mean, like, the one day out of all seven days where you want to have your A game on, individually, marriage-wise, and let me tell you, Sunday mornings were rough for us. Part of that is just how God has wired both of us. You know, I am totally a morning person. I love getting up early when it's quiet. My body just kind of naturally wakes up with that alarm at six, which is awesome. And my wife is just hardwired as a night owl. And this created all kinds of problems in our marriage the first kind of 10 years. And it always showed up the worst Sunday morning. Because look, nine o'clock service, I've already been up for three hours. I'm like, let's go. And to me, you know, if you're not 30 minutes early, you're late. And Leslie's like, hey, the, the service starts at 11. We can get there at 10.55 and we're okay. And that just creates all kinds of anxiety in me. And it got to a point where we just finally invited somebody in. We invited help. The guy that did our premarital counseling, you know, we we're just kind of laying out our case with him. And he looks at me and he's just like, hey, Rob, if, if, if it's really that big of a deal to you, then maybe you should consider taking two cars. And I thought, that's about the craziest thing I've ever heard. Because that's not what I want. I want to be with Leslie. I want to take one car. I want to... Okay, well, great, that's your choice. What do you mean it's my choice? What's your choice to stay frustrated? And then he just said something even crazier to me. He just said, hey, Rob, what happens if this isn't a punctuality problem? What happens if this is a patience problem and God wants to grow patience in you? And I remember looking at him thinking, you haven't heard a word I'm talking about, have you? (laughs) And I think if I just am honest with myself, you know, one thing I've learned over the last 20 years of marriage is that I'm, I'm harder to live with than I think I am. And if I just had to guess, you're probably harder to live with than you think you are as well. And so this morning, we're gonna talk about, we're gonna ask a couple questions that James is gonna prompt us to ask that is gonna help us if we could apply those two questions will help us be easier people to live with or to work with or to fellowship with, or to be parents and kids. So we're gonna jump into James chapter four. And James chapter four is dovetailed with James chapter three. Remember the big picture of James, well, we're kinda, the thread that runs through every chapter, all five chapters, is he's showing us how to live a single-minded, stable, and undefiled life. And how we looked at that last week in chapter three was, listen, there's something small in you, your tongue, and small things cause big problems. Small things do big things. 
Second thing we looked at is what comes out of you is already in you. So listen, when you you got a tongue problem, you got a heart problem. And the third thing Derek reminded us of is, listen, you can't tame your tongue. God's gonna change your heart. All three of those themes are coming forward in James chapter four. So if you've got your Bibles, open your Bibles to James chapter four, we'll have it up here on the screen. And James is gonna start by asking a question. What causes fights and what causes quarrels among you? So our first point of the entire morning is just this. I'm asking you to ask yourself, what if I'm the problem? What if I'm the problem? That's where James wants you to sit for the next first four verses of James chapter four. What if I'm the problem? So look at his question to us. What causes fights and what causes quarrels among us? Now, why in the world is James starting there? We'll back up. You don't have to look far. In James chapter three, verse 16, here's what he says. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder. Does that mark your life? It's marked my life a little bit this weekend. That's why James wants to open chapter four, asking the simple question, why do fights and quarrels exist among you? What's your answer to that? I know we just read the answer up here, but if we're honest, where's the first place we go? Well, the first place I go is, gosh, if if she'd just be ready in time, if they just put on their socks, like not even the first time, the second time and the third time, then I wouldn't have to, hey, if they would just drive like a normal, sane person on 75, then I wouldn't have to fill in the blank. Hey, if they would just move the dishes from the table to the sink or from the sink to the, then I wouldn't have to you living with a crazy roommate right now? Done do their dishes? You getting amped on the inside? James has an answer for that. See, we start naturally on the outside. Something outside of me is the problem, but that's not where James starts. James says we have an inside problem. And here's what James says. Your passions are at war within you. Your passions are at war within you. Think about how we as Americans use the word passion. Hey, follow your passion. Or maybe you've like run over someone verbally and you're like, well, I'm just a passionate person. We kind of use passion as a good word. And if you were just to do a word search in the New Testament on how it uses passions, you'll see really quickly, it is never used in a positive light. It's always used as a misdirected passion or a misguided desire. And typically the Greek word doesn't really matter, but the Greek word informs the reality of how strong this word passion is. The Greek word is hedone. Anybody wanna take a guess of what comes out of hedone? Hedonism. How's your passion problem now? Hedonism, what is hedonism? 
Well, it's the worldview or religion of the pursuit of self, pleasure. It's all about me and what I want. James saying, why do fights and quarrels exist among you? Because you have a hedonism problem, Rob Berry. We have a problem where it's all about me. And that is deep within all of us. And he just doesn't stop there. He says, your passions are at war within you. Now what's going on there? Well, let me just take a couple minutes to just talk for two minutes about a biblical theology of war inside of you. You'll see things throughout the New Testament like the old man, the new man, the old heart, the new heart, the flesh, the spirit. So let me just take two minutes and pack all that. When we're born as a little adorable infant, we are all born with misdirected passions and misdirected desires. And those spill out of us and create all kinds of problems. It happens when we're born. If you don't believe me, raise a toddler, raise a six-month-old. And you're like, where did that come from? They haven't seen me do that. Fast forward, and it says, Titus chapter three says that until we meet Christ, until we enter into a relationship with the Lord of the universe, those passions and desires, they control us. It says that we were slaves to our passions and desires. So even before Christ, even when we do the right thing, we almost always do it for the wrong motive. But something happens when we enter into a relation with Jesus. God doesn't leave us here alone. He sends us his Holy Spirit to indwell us. And the power that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And so now the believer is at war. Non-believers are not at war internally. They're just guided by their passions. Believers are at war. So if you, if you feel the struggle, that means you're alive. Dead people don't feel the struggle. So what does that mean to walk in the spirit? Galatians 5, if you walk in the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What he's saying is there, look, we still have misdirected passions and desires, but we can look at Jesus and go, what do you want me to do here, Jesus? And we have the power now to go, I'm going to follow your way. I'm going to put on the new art, put on the new man, walk in the spirit and submit to you, not submit to what I want to do. That's the Christian life. So if you feel the war inside of you, that is a great indicator that you're alive. And it drives me crazy sometimes. So you have a passion problem. We have a misdirected passion problem. Like Derek said last week, what's inside, what comes out is from the inside and the same is true for our misdirected passions and pleasures. Look at how it goes here. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You might be like, that's strong. Well, let me just remind you, the early church was made up of people like Simon the Zealot. Zealots are people that made war against Rome. So there's a good chance in the early church, you were doing life with people who have murdered people. You think your community group's hard? So it spills out in that way. 
You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spit on your passions. James is just kind of walking you through, here's some great indicators of why you have a heart problem. Your heart is not content, so you take. Even when you ask, you ask for wrong motives. You have got a heart problem that God wants to get right in the middle of. But it's just a reminder, he wants to come strong. Hey, the problem is not outside of you. It is inside of you. Now look, here's what I just, I just wanna throw out a disclaimer here. Cause I know you're like, you don't know who I'm married to. You don't know who I work with. You don't know this about my roommate. You don't know about my kids. Yes. Listen, there, are, there is sin in other people that spills out all over your life. Whether you're walking deeply with Jesus or not, but that's not James's point. James's point is you need to start with yourself by asking yourself, what if I'm the problem here? Look at where he goes in verse four here. He just says this. You adulterous people. That's strong. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. He's making a statement about if you are led, you are led by your passions and desires. What does that communicate about you? See, when the receivers of James heard this, if you remember where we started in week one, this was written to the 12 tribes, scattered. So the listeners of James are Jewish believers, familiar with the Old Testament. And so when they hear the word adulterous, the first thing that pops in their mind are the prophets. They're like, oh man, no, he didn't just use the word adultery. That's Isaiah, that's Jeremiah. Go through the prophets. Hosea. So one of the words that the Lord uses to communicate where Israel was. God wanted to be married, wed in a deep relationship, covenantal relationship with his people. But his people, it wasn't good enough for him. And so what his people did is they went and wed themselves to paganism and hedonism and the culture. In the Old Testament, the Lord says that is adultery. Friends, if you're someone that identifies as a follower of Christ and you are wed to I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do, that is adultery. That is cohabiting, commingling with the world. And it's not just confusing to people who live with you, it's confusing to the world. And I'm just telling you, at times we have all wet ourselves to hedonism, what I wanna do. And he uses another word here just to kind of be emphatic about it. It's not just adultery. You make yourself an enemy of God. But here's the deal, your name is brother, your name is sister. We are part of God's family. That is our identity and who we are. But when we co-mingle with hedonism, 
I want what Rob Berry wants. I am acting like an enemy of the Lord. And that is not who I am. It's not who you are. I woke up this morning like, you know, um, you hear Josh talk about summer. And I'm like, man, summer's hard. You know, I, I started going through the times I got short with my family since summer started. And I'm like, gosh, man, summer's hard. Summer's hard to live with me as a dad. And I just woke up this morning going, okay, asking myself this question, what if I'm the problem? If you're in a community group here and, um, you know, I'm just gonna give you the secret. Like what I celebrate when I jump in your group is when people ask themselves the question, what if I'm the problem? So if I jump in your community group and we're just trying to get aligned, communicate, help people communicate, resolve conflict with each other, the thing that I walk out there and go, dude, that was awesome, is when somebody in that meeting just goes, hey, I think I've been part of the problem here. Hey, I've been, I've been trying to get the log out of my own eye. Hey, I've started where James 4 starts of why there's friction here probably has to do with me. And hey, we, we all forgive me for this. I'm telling you, if there are nine other crazy people in the room and one person goes down that path, it changes the room. Humility will change the room. James wants us to start with ourselves and ask ourselves the question, what happens if I'm the problem? So if I'm the problem, the inside is the problem, what's the solution? It can't be on the inside, it's gotta be something on the outside. Well, here's where James is gonna pick up in, in verse five and tell us what is the solution. And the solution is it starts with God and ends with love. The solution starts with God, it starts outside of us and ends with love. Let's pick it up in um, verse five. Verse five just says, or do you not think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let me just make like a simple observation that I didn't even see till I was just kind of rethinking through this morning. It's so simple. If you're the hot mess and the solution's outside of the hot mess, do I start where James starts? Scripture. And I'm like, how did I miss that for like two weeks? Or do you think scripture says? That is why scripture says. I'm like, okay. I've got to start outside of myself and the scriptures tell me something about the solution. And here's the solution. Shouldn't be a surprise. It's God. God's attitude towards you and his posture towards you, that is the solution. And what we do with that matters. Look at this first word here. That he jealously longs. Now look, with humans, jealousy 
And it's talked a lot about a lot in the scriptures. And so how can God's jealousy towards us be a good thing? And what every time I see jealousy in the New Testament is not a good thing. And what I would say is my jealousy and your jealousy is always tainted on even the smallest microscopic level by some part of hedone. There is some part of me in our jealousy, mankind's jealousy. But God's, it's not. He's about you and what's good for you. And so when it says God is jealous, what he's saying is, listen, I'm the only place where there's life. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly, John 10, 10. The narrow path leads to life and few find it. Jesus in his way is where life is at. And so God wants you there because it's the only place where there's life. And anytime we try to do Jesus plus something else to find life, there, it's just a vapor. See you next week. And so God's jealousy is always about your good and your thriving and for your benefit. So the mess inside of us, the solution is starting with a realistic picture of who God is. He doesn't want to shame you. He doesn't want to guilt you. He doesn't want to do any of that. He wants you to know he longs for you. And he longs for you to have life and life abundantly. So that's his character. James is pleading with us based on God's character to do something with that. But he doesn't start there. Look where he goes next. But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Okay, if you've got a Bible, you may want to circle those two uses of grace. You may have the word favor, which is just another word for grace, unmerited favor. These, this is the only place in the entire book of James where we see the word grace. And you're like, dude, it feels that way. I feel like I'm getting hit by a two by four every time I come in here and listen to James. But grace is who God is. It's his character. And so just the way I've summarized this little passage for myself is Rob Berry is a hot mess, but God's grace is stronger. Rob Berry is a hot mess. My family's like, preach. My, <laughs> Rob Berry is a hot mess, but God's power jealousy for me, grace for me, favor to me is stronger than my hot mess of an inside. And that truth is where James wants you to be anchored in James chapter four. There's a call to repent based on God's character. But here's the deal. James doesn't stop there. What we see in James 1 and James 2 and James 3 and James, all throughout James is just this idea of, listen, don't just know the right thing to do. You've got to do it. So knowing God's character as a dad does not fix any relationship unless I do something about that. Things don't just get better by knowing what to do. They get better by applying God's truth, which is where James wants to take us next. 
Let's double click on the word humility. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, as we work through, um, you know, Ephesians and Philippians, we've, we've defined humility as not thinking about yourself, you know, um, not thinking less about yourself, like, oh, poor me, but thinking less about yourself. That's how it's typically used in the New Testament. It's just like, hey, think about others, not just you, hedonism. Here, he's gonna use it in a different way. What he's gonna say is taking God's truth and applying it is humility. And so here's, here's kind of the way I've thought through that. When we put into practice who God is, that's humility. Or maybe I would say it this way. Humility is putting God in the right place in the middle of your mess. Humility is putting God in his right place in the middle of your mess. Or maybe you could say in the middle of your mess is God ruling over and in all that. That's humility. Are you putting yourself under the rule of God when you want something that is misdirected and misguided? And then he goes over, if you just humble yourself, here's what humility looks like. Here, here we go. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let me just stop right there. You know, uh, um, maybe you've heard the, the old adage, like the devil made me do it. I don't mean to talk like a West Virginia person, but the, the devil made me do it, Right? And, um, and we hear that here. And when I hear that, the first thing I think about is, you got a submission problem, not a devil problem. And submission is the ultimate polar opposite of hedonism. I'm choosing not to do what I wanna do and do what somebody has asked me to do. Submit yourselves then to God Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Go look, Matthew 4, Luke 4, where Jesus is tempted, right? What does he do, right? He just quotes scripture and by quoting scripture, he is communicating, listen, I'm gonna, under his rule, not your rule. He's my authority, not you. That was like it and boom, Satan's out of there. You wanna know how you resist the devil? The only thing here in this entire passage that is outside of you, submit to God. God, I wanna do this. I wanna respond this way, but you are asking me to do this. I submit. So all these next phrases, commands, are just dominoes that kind of fall after the idea of submission. Submit yourselves, resist and he will flee. Come near to God and he will come near to you. That's just, Lord, help me. You know the most simple phrase in Christian warfare? Lord, help me. He is present. I'll never leave you or forsake you. We have a God who's present. Wash your hands, you sinner. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. That idea of washing your hands like, hey, I'm not gonna do that. And purifying your heart is, Lord, I need a heart change. My heart isn't pure. I need you to come in and do something with my heart. 
you double-minded. And then he goes on with very unfamiliar language, I think, to us as as a North American church. This is really where I had to do the most work this week is just my attitude towards this. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. You know, typically when we mess up, when we get in conflict with others, that might be in your house with your spouse or your kiddos or your roommates or whatever, job, the thing we like the least about that conflict is the fact that it's just weird now. I hate the circumstances that have happened as a result of this. And, and Paul would say that's worldly sorrow. Like if you're grieving the circumstances that have come as a result of your sin versus sin, the fact that I've chosen hedonism over the Lord, that's worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. And just reading this this morning was a great reminder for me that I've got to spend more time grieving my sin versus grieving the mess I've created. And I think this is just instructive for us as a church. We need to sit here. So we start with God and we end with love. We're gonna put up the last couple verses here. And I want you to just read these verses. I'm gonna give you 20, 30 seconds. Derek last week talked about how that writers of the New Testament and Old Testament would use repetition to drive home a point. So I want you to just take a look here and just read and just figure out what shows up over and over and over and over. And then we'll jump into this last section. All right. Well, here's the three things I saw. Maybe you saw some different things. First thing is just speaking evil. It says that three different times. Do not speak evil against one another. The one who speaks against, the one who speaks evil against. This is gonna be his primary application for the entire passage we just looked at. How do you want to know if you're winning the war on the inside? You don't have to look any further than looking right here at your tongue. So what does it mean to speak evil against your brother or sister? Well, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to help, like, give you constructive feedback. Right? It doesn't mean to be honest with somebody It doesn't mean to address behavior. Like, hey, that just wasn't your best moment. Like, that's okay. That's not what he's, hey, you've got salad in your teeth. That's not what he's talking about here. When he talks about speaking evil or speaking against, he is talking about, are you talking trash behind people's back? Are you gossiping about people? Are you slandering people? Are you saying something to somebody else that you don't have the courage to go say to someone's face in a constructive, hey, I wanna help you grow in this moment? That's what he's talking about. 
So look at what he says right after that. I think this is the most confusing passage in the entire book of James. Could just be me, but here's what he says. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. What in the world does James mean right here? Does that confuse anybody else here? I'm like, I don't know what that means. Here's what I think he means. What is the law? Well, I don't think he's talking about the Old Testament law here. I think he's talking about the royal law of love found in James chapter two, verse eight. And the law that we are called to live by as Christians is love your neighbors as yourself. And one of the most clear ways that we know are we loving our neighbors, are we talking trash about them? And what he's saying there is, if you know that is God's standard, which is to love your neighbor, which of course involves speech. And we're like, you know what? I know that's God's standard, but I'm gonna do it anyway. What we are essentially saying is, I'm gonna set the standard here. I'm gonna set the law. I'm gonna be the authority here, right? It goes back to this. Man, I've got a hedonistic heart. It connects verse 11 with verse one. We've got a passion problem, which is all about me. And when we talk trash about people or gossip about people or slander people, what we're saying is I don't care what the standard is. I don't care what the law is. I don't care. Jesus, I know that's your offense and I don't care. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And when we do that, we are setting ourselves on the level of a lawgiver. And we are making judgments on what is right and wrong. So when we are redefining the standard, we are acting like a lawgiver and judge. And God just wants to remind us that doesn't bless anybody. That does not bless your neighbor. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So he's bringing it back to the, you know what to do, but you're not doing it. And that will continue to create, your hedonism will continue to create problems for people all around you. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who's able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? I would just say this is another area that when we claim to follow Christ and we talk bad about people behind their backs or even to their face in a way that Paul exhorts us, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs so they may give grace to those who are here. When we tear people down in front of them or behind them, in a way that doesn't build them up and help them grow as a maturing believer, we are not marked as someone who loves their neighbor. And it is confusing to an outside world. It is confusing to an outside world. We've, I've, you know, um, been in community groups of the last, you know, 10 years where people have, are just making a hot mess out of their lives. Like their mess is spilling over to everybody spouses, community group members. 
And as we plead with them to do what James does, right, to anchor your repentance in the character of Jesus, his love and grace and pursuit of you, and come home, right? We've had people say as literally as, Rob, I know exactly what Jesus asked me to do, and I don't care. I'm not gonna do it. And in those moments, I'm really sad. And in those moments, I'm also like, thank you for being honest. Because most of us live like that. We just don't have the courage to say that. And it does not go well. He's jealous for you, loves you. He wants you to thrive. His grace is sufficient. So let me just give you a couple ways that we can um, apply this this week. First, I'd love you to start with yourself and ask yourself, hey, do I minimize this in my own life? Because I think if I just fly through, I can just minimize how intense James is being right here. James literally cannot be any more emphatic about my tongue than saying, Rob, when you misuse your tongue, you're, acting, you're taking my role. You're acting like a God. And you're a lousy God who doesn't bless people. So I would just encourage you, ask the question, hey, do I minimize what James is saying emphatically here? Number two, because we can't tame our tongue, here's a question I'd love you to ask in your time with the Lord this week. As you read James in your devotional time this morning or you know, this week, I would love for you to just ask the question, Lord, what if I'm the problem? And ask the Lord, Lord, will you give me a new heart? Will you change and mature my heart? So that's where I'm gonna be every single morning over the next week. When we say have a great week of worship, that's what my mornings are gonna look like is Lord, help me change my heart. Because I want my tongue to bless people, not be a curse to people. And then last but not least, I would just encourage you to invite feedback in your life. You know, if you're in a community group here, that is God's provision for you. It can be a mirror to you. But you've gotta have humility to ask the question. And I would just encourage you to ask the question to your community group, hey guys, Rob wanted me to ask the question, I'm gonna ask the question. Hey, do I come across as a, um, I'm the problem kind of guy? Do I come across, in my, when I'm sharing in group time, do I come across as a, what if I'm the problem kind of guy? Or do I come across as somebody else is the problem? And just ask people for some feedback. I thought about how crazy it would be if every Tuesday night at Regen that we had people on this stage, our members, me, going, hey, I'm Rob Berry. I'm a believer. I'm a new creation in Christ who struggles with my tongue. But I really have a heart issue. How great would it be if we were a body of Christ that believed that? And Lord, help me, help us. So that's what I'm gonna be doing this week. Come on with me if you want to. Let me just recap. Hey, the problem is not outside of us, it's inside of us. And we need someone who is stronger than our inside to come in and help us and change our heart. And the biggest litmus test of whether or not we're winning that war is how we use our tongue. And when we use our tongue to curse people, 
we are making ourselves to be equal with God and that won't work out well for your neighbor. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about CityBridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.